Hi, this is Brent Weeks, author of the Lightbringer series. Welcome to the Legendarium. As a, um, a, what's the word I want? Protagonist. I have no idea what that means. That's not the word I was looking for. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. Here we go again for the ninth time, for the last time. Today, we're discussing the Lightbringer series. This is the Burning White Part 2, well, discussion number two, uh, by Brent Weeks. The Burning White by Brent Weeks. Today's discussion is going to be pretty different from the last one, though. So before we get into that, though, I'd like to remind you that the Legendarium is available on your favorite podcast player. So please subscribe if you have not yet done so. But if you're, if you're looking for older episodes, the ones that don't show up on that RSS feed, you can find them grouped by subject at thelegendariumpodcast.com. If you enjoy what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And of course, tell your friends and leave a review. I'm your host, your cult leader, Craig Hanks. And with me today, he's so white, if you strapped him to Orholm's glare, it would tear a hole right through the ozone layer. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> okay, I'll destroy the world. <laughs> And if Brent were writing the epic tale of the Legendarium, he would counterintuitively save everyone, except probably for her. It's Stephanie Bruckman. <laughs> Thanks. I, I might believe that would be true. So <laughs> You never know. He's, uh, he's an unpredictable he guy. He saves everyone, really, is what happens. So exactly. I'd probably die and come back. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's get to the people <laughs> who get saved in just a moment. And before we get to the end of this episode, I am going to announce the winner of the signed book that I mentioned last time. So we will get to that. If you want to hear the, if you're the winner of that, then stick around till the end. Uh, the last time we talked about the Burning White, it was you and me, Ryan, with Melanie, Brent's assistant, um, mm -hmm. his admin and editorial assistant. She was great. I actually really liked that episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I think that that one turned out to be a little bit different than what we expected and definitely different than what we're going to be doing today. Sort of. Sort of, sort of. So, well, the reason is, the reason I say that is because we asked for Discord comments last time and boy, howdy, did we get them. Mm -hmm. I've never received so many comments on Discord, on Reddit, on wherever. I've never received so many comments as we got for the Burning White. Uh, and many of them were, shall we say, less than flattering or congratulatory or whatever. There was a mob, and then there was a mob out there with torches and pitchforks <laughs> wanting answers. And so it was just, it was a little bit awkward and indelicate for us to try to bring that up with her at the time. And I didn't want to put her in any sort of awkward situation trying to, you know, uh, critique answer, her boss. The, answer those or critique her boss or whatever. Yeah. And so it was, um, it was a lot of what we and she and everybody loved about the book. Mm -hmm. um, so today we are going to get into a lot of the criticisms and uh, yeah, so it's going to be very different. But I mean, caveat, that doesn't mean that anything we said in the last episode was like just softballing it. Yes, no, no thank you. I 100% I stand by everything we said about yeah. the things we enjoyed. And that doesn't mean that this episode is going to be a giant Kvetch Fest. Kvetch, Kvetch, Kvetch Fest. Fest. Nice. Kvetch Fest. That's what I'm going to go. Yeah. 2020. 
Fetch Fest 2020, Legendarium's theme. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, no, I just think it's it's a little bit like, um, it's the opposite of what we did with the Farseer trilogy, or book one, I should say, mm-hmm. where in, in our discussion of that one, we had a rough time with that book for a lot of reasons. But when we went to record the episode, we started with, you know what really you know, ticked me off when I was reading this book. Mm-hmm. And so we spent the first 20, 25 minutes of that discussion going over what we hated. And then we finally got to, but you know what she did well. You Which know, earned us quite a few one-star reviews oh and responses. Gosh. Yeah. And so this is just kind of the opposite of that, where this is a book that we actually quite liked. But I think you and I, when we did our spoiler-free <clears throat> review of the book <laughs> back in October, uh, we we knew that it was going to be divisive yeah we knew that it was going to get the reaction that it did um and so i i'm glad that we have the opportunity now even though we really liked the book to kind of put how much we liked it up front and now we can kind of come back and say okay well what are some of the criticisms what are people Mm -hmm. saying and we can either agree or disagree with them but it's it's nice to talk about that last (laughs) right right okay wow that was it's a lot of throat clearing (laughs) Stephanie, you weren't here for the last Burning White episode. Mm-hmm. And so before I go to all the listener comments and stuff, let me just kick it to you first. How do you feel about the book generally? And then we'll get into the specifics as we go. Generally, I liked the book. I felt like it was a good ending, but I'm a happy ending. Everyone like ends, like things end good. I'm that type of person. I like those endings. And that's what he gave me where everyone walked away pretty much with what, they've been striving for for these five books so yeah okay so you're satisfied yeah it kind of sounds like you didn't love it but you liked it is that fair i felt like it was a good ending the whole the the series as a whole i really did love yeah um there got to be there was a lot in this book that i maybe doesn't like i don't feel like it was necessarily needed there was a lot of just filler and fluff that maybe we could have sped things up a little bit more but on a whole i really did i enjoyed the book i'd read it again i don't have any major complaints i guess right it's a remarkable thing when i think about when i think back on this book how much stuff happens and how when i got to the end of it i just you know i'm like in a cold sweat like there's just so much story that happened Mm -hmm. in the book but then when i think about it even more i'm like well but yeah but the First third, first half, maybe pretty slow, or it, yeah, at least it feels that yeah. way. Thinking back on it, it was kind of, um, kind of waiting, setting up the chess pieces, and yeah, like Kippen, uh, Greenhaven. What is it? Yeah, yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. right. And leaving that, and like, well, the whole time he's in there, you know, he's gonna become the their leader type thing, finding the key, uh, Kai seed crystal, whatever. Kichi Kai. Kichi Kai. Yeah, uh, seed crystal. Meeting that like. All those moments like, yeah, I, I remember that. I don't remember why that's important like to myself. I don't remember why I needed to know those things. Um, yeah, there's a moment at the end of the book because I was, I was kind of reviewing, going back through a little bit uh, over the last couple of days. And he's talking to Andros. And oh, okay, by the way, full spoilers, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so he's talking to Andros and Andros is kind of fretting. This is very uncharacteristic at this point. He's like, I, you know, how can I in good conscience take this seat of power is the prism and the, the light bringer and all this when obviously you and Dazen were the ones who earned it. Mm-hmm. And here I'm just kind of taking all the credit. Uh, and Kip is trying to reassure him 
and he's saying something about how, hey, you were the one who sent us light when we were there in Greenhaven and helped us, you know, activate the, the mirror, the whatever. I can't even remember the, the lenses and the mirrors and the, oh my. And I was like, wait, what? What happened? When did that happen? When did, oh, who cares? It was all the way back in Greenhaven. There's so many moments <laughs> in this book of things that someone will mention an event or, or something that happens. And you're like, oh yeah. How did I not remember that? Because like, um, I was kind of going through and reviewing with Stephanie a little bit before we came over. And I was like, oh, yeah. What about the whole uh, sea demons being the past prisms? Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. Wait a minute. That's It's a big deal. It's a big reveal. But you don't even think about it, you know, at certain points because there's just so, so much. So much going on in this book to remember it all. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. The only... Uh, I did not... If you had asked me all the things that happened in this book, that would have gone yeah right out of my yeah, mind i didn't remember that until he mentioned it either I was like, oh yeah <laughs> but uh i did like that the um you know, you know the, the big moby dick was um what's his name the the first guy uh lucidonius lucidonius was the ogc demon mm -hmm. that was pretty cool <laughs> which takes you back and you remember the battle and one of the early ones between the whale and the sea demon and like oh this the whale is saving them from the sea demon and you're like oh wait a minute but the sea demon is the good guys they're the past prisms and they've been preventing the leaking of these things. <laughs> right. Like, uh, they've been eating the bane, basically. Like, right. Like, oh, what? What? What is going what on? What is happening here? <laughs> it's overload. This is really a cool concept. I don't have time to think about it, though. So uh, before we get to the listener comments, I guess maybe I'll just ask you. Okay, because this is a Brent Weeks book, I'm going to hark back to... Uh, our discussions of the Night Angel trilogy just briefly. Mm -hmm. And so if you haven't read that and you care about really mild spoilers, then, you know, maybe skip ahead 60 seconds. Uh, but at the in the end, we kind of talked about how... I'm trying to do this without spoiling too much. We felt like the Night Angel books... The, the third book came out of nowhere with all this massive amount of world building toward the end of the series. Yeah. And suddenly this this story erupted into this mushroom cloud of of uh, mythology where it had been like an assassin's tale for mm -hmm. a while before that, you know? Uh, do you feel like this book kind of did a similar thing where we had five books of buildup, but then it kind of mushroomed into too much at the very end? I wouldn't say, not to the same scale, not at the same scale. I, I can see that argument and I, I wouldn't argue against it too hard um, because I feel like, the build up to our final battle sequence, our final everything there in this is is pretty well laid out through all five books. It's not really a, an immediate jump um, into that, but there, I mean, there is a lot that gets tossed in in the last book. Yeah. yeah. So, Stephanie, what about you? He, I don't want to say he took like a hard right into to religion at the end of this book, but it. And it didn't come out of nowhere. Religion does play a big part in his plot and his storyline. But I feel like by the time you got to the end of this book, he like smacked you in the face with it. <laughs> yeah. Then I was like, okay, well, what has been a plot point in how they they rule their world is now the saving grace. Like it, it really all of a sudden came out of nowhere for me of how big he made a deal out of Orhalem and their god like as the god in the theology of it all when yeah. god shows up in a story it's usually a big deal and if you haven't prepped people for god himself showing up that's gonna be a big turn right so that's yeah. kind of all right so yeah, yeah i agree it has it's similar on 
on the same scale on the different way i don't know how to explain it no, I, th like, I think but... ryan i think you put it pretty well it's it, it not to the degree that we saw in night angel but yeah it's a possible critique mm -hmm. um okay so let's get into what some of the listeners said and this is going to take up the bulk of today's episode <laughs> this should take us through the rest of it so here's what i'm going to do uh, we've got a lot of listener comments and questions and I'm going to intercut those with some uh, quotes from the book that I thought were really great. And because if there's one thing that we can say, it's that Brent Weeks is a talented writer of mm -hmm. quips mm -hmm. and one-liners and all of that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. a lot of those that I, I wanted to pull out. So I'll be interspersing a few of those <laughs> as we go. So uh, from our Discord server, Cody Lloyd asks uh, y'all said on day one that you knew it was going to be divisive and clearly you were right what about the book made you say that were there specific details or plot points you knew would do it were you right about the divisive bits yes well first of all hashtag craig is always right <laughs> this is a thing for a reason yeah anyway and i just happen to be you know on the same train this time you know, <laughs> with that how often do we agree about stuff uh, I think more often than not, it's just different more perspectives often. on the same thing. We just don't always communicate that we're actually thinking the same thing. <laughs> they think it's the same thing for different reasons. Yeah. And they don't agree on the reasons why they think the same thing is really what it comes down okay. to. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Okay. So what did we think? Uh, the reason I'm trying to cast myself back to October 20th, whenever we uh, recorded that episode, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to remember what we were thinking. First of all, Orholm shows up. Yeah. Second of all, everyone survives. Mm -hmm. Third of all, specifically, Kip survives. I think those were my biggest things. Yeah, I, I remember going back and trying to dance around in our spoiler-free episode saying an author, the author has injected himself a lot into this story, more so than in any others, because most of the time we get used to the idea of an author leaving it up to you to decide the, if the morality that's been laid out is right or not, whereas this one, he by having Orhalem show up and, and dictate a little bit more about how things are going or, or these different moments, um, it felt like the author making more of a statement of this is the this is the truth for this. And we knew in that moment, like as soon as you tell an audience what to feel or what to think about something, that they're going to go, wait, no, that they're going to people. If you don't agree with that, it's going to be right really jarring. Yeah. Um, and it took a little time away from it and kind of doing a review on it to realize that it wasn't as bad as I remember the initial read being of the author of, Brent of, saying, of his voice yeah being there but i think that was one of the big ones for me just knowing that people surviving because as they yeah everyone's they're gonna want this that they want blood, they want blood. <laughs> and the problem is is that brent Promised marketed it. that way yeah yeah it was oh i'm so terrible like i treat my my characters horribly they're gonna go through all these terrible things and they do ish, ish. Like, they go through terrible things but he pulls them out in the end right so if you get that mentality going through, like it takes some of the edge off of the book. And some of these people have come into it reading it going, I want that edge. Right. No, I think that's fair. I mean, this is uh, a, a grim, dark author. Is he a grim, dark author? I, I don't... Night Angel. Night Angel, yeah. yeah. But I think that's kind of the point with this is <laughs> he created this persona as a grim, dark writer. And then in the end of this one, I Not would, so much. It, it's it's uh, <laughs> label as grimdark would be entirely dependent upon which shelf it would be placed on and next to what. Because you put this next to a Joe Abercrombie or a J.R.R. Martin. J.R.R. Martin. George R. Whatever. R.R. something. 
you put next to that, no, this isn't grimdark. But if you throw it up next to you know the Belgariad or any, of these, it's like, <laughs> yeah, obviously this is more grimdark. But yeah. I can't. I have a hard time putting a hard and fast label on this series as grimdark. All right, all right. So let's change uh, tax here. Kratori, I hope I'm saying that right. Says um, we've not never about... cared about saying the names right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shishkukunrunner. Uh, not about this book in particular, but I read this series as the books came out. I kind of wish I had had that experience. I always wish I'd had that experience, but mm-hmm. okay, interesting. Even with the recap at the beginning and the glossary at the back, I found it hard to remember everything that happened and what a lot of the names and terms meant. There were a fair few missing from the glossary. This isn't usually an issue for me. Uh, I was wondering how you all handled it. Stephanie, was it tough for you to keep track as we went? So for me, not so much. I read them all basically back to back. So it's a lot easier to remember those details and remember who they are. But I've read a lot of reviews from people that have followed this series as it's come out. And they do, especially towards the end when he took so long to get the last two books out compared to the other three, that it is. There's so much that he throws into these books. I can understand why anyone would have a hard time remembering all of these details. And you don't want the glossary to be as big as the book. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to read through all of this trying to remember every little detail. So... I, uh, w- one of the things that I note with this series, speaking of the glossary, is that as I'm reading on my Kindle, which I did for a couple of the books, you get to the, the end of the book. You know, I got to get to 100% so that I can be ready for the recording. No, it's done at like 91. Yeah. Because it's a, a huge lot. glossary at the end. Mm-hmm. There's a lot at the end of the books. So I, when I think about this issue of uh, can you remember everything, I, I think of The Wheel of Time, mm-hmm. 14 books, 15 books, depending on how you count it. And there's just so much stuff. Uh, hundreds of named eyes to die. What is it? 1,700 named characters in total. Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. A, it's a crazy amount of just characters to remember, let alone places and events and Magic prophecies. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So take the Wheel of Time, which is in a similar vein. But now cast your mind back to the 90s when, I'm sorry, fantasy generally sucked with some very notable and wonderful exceptions. It Genre fiction was not in a high point in the 90s. Right. And so people who love that stuff, as they're reading The Wheel of Time, they're like, well, everything else sucks, so I'm just going to go back and reread it over and over and over and over again. Well, now I'd say compared to the 90s, we're living in a frigging golden age of genre <laughs> literature. Mm-hmm. And so when you're waiting for the next Stormlight Archive or Lightbringer or, you know... First Law or whatever, whatever next book you're waiting for, you have a a glut of other stuff to go through. And so we don't have that same kind of encyclopedic knowledge that somebody might have as they were waiting for the next Wheel of Time book. And so I could see that being an issue, even if Brent isn't any better or worse than anybody else, you know, writing a giant five book series might be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Maybe circumstances as much as him or anybody else. Yeah, and that's, I'll be honest, even with Wheel of Time and, and with this, the idea, I've never really utilized glossaries. Yeah, no, uh, me neither. And things like that. Um, I did utilize... At least not in real time. Yes, I like should say that. Um, with the Burning White, I did appreciate the recaps at the beginning um, when I first got the advanced copy to, to kind of go through and read. I Even though I had recently gone through all of them, I still needed that, that catch-up. On it. So I, I appreciated that, um, but I 
I don't know. It's never been a major thing for me to be aware of or, or to care about a whole lot. But the more I get in depth into epic fantasy, the more I realize the necessity of having something like that, um, especially Cosmere, like right now, Cosmere related stuff. It's becoming more and more necessary. I mean, Brandon didn't even, they're not really using a glossary so much. They, they have them in Mistborn. They have them in mm-hmm. Stormlight, things like that. But he almost, he just wrote a whole nother book. <laughs> the Arcanum Unbounded. Arcanum Unbounded said, yeah, yeah here, here's your glossary for the Cosmere as it's known to you at this point. Oh, man. That guy. All right. This is not, we're not going to get <laughs> anyway. sucked into the, the, the Brandon hole, the B hole. All right. So. Please never refer to that again as the B hole. <laughs> so, last, uh, by the way, I have all these uh, listener questions and comments sorted into categories. So, this is kind of general stuff. And then we have characters, the plot, the villains. Deus Ex Machina has its own section, uh-huh. <laughs> the magic and the little stuff. And so I'll, I'll kind of bounce between those. But here's the last general one from Joff Wu. Joff Wu. He says, see, I just listened to this series with 50% effort and really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that was the right move. Kip Tan's over here complaining about curving cannonballs, for an example. For example and all I can recall is, oh, that part was fun. <laughs> or the tooth. What was wrong with that? I don't remember suspending disbelief for that any more than I do with most fantasy. <laughs> so Kip Tan is referring, or sorry, uh, Jafu is referring to Kip Tan's comment. He says, are you okay Okay with curving cannonballs? Because as written, the mechanical stresses on that design should be far too strong for it to work. Uh, oh boy. Oh, Kip Tan. Oh. This is uh, to quote uh, Brandon Sanderson in his little moment uh, on our podcast that he yeah. recorded. You're thinking about this too much. <laughs> That's right. I, I understand you can't just ignore physics. You can't just ignore those things. But yeah, I I maybe maybe I read things at half at half intelligence or whatever. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because I, I think Kip Tan's a, a, an engineer, if I'm not mistaken. So. I vaguely remember hearing reading something about yeah. that, that as well. So but, it's your own fault for being so educated. Get out of here. Yeah. Come on. I read Re- an entire comment today reviewing for our recording and i don't know who it was by i don't even know what i was reading it on but they went off about the lifespan of the drafters and how with the energy and it got very physics related on how the body works and how it would decrease their lifespan more than it already did and i was like who thinks about this i mean she had numbers and everything it's like you're thinking too hard (laughs) about this how are you enjoying this book at all if you're you're getting into the science of how actually drafting light and energy <laughs> would affect your body like so and uh, <laughs> not to discredit or anything people who you know if no, you people want enjoy yes, things in different ways but yeah. and if you want that sort of internal consistency with reality you have to understand that this is still fiction this is a different world there things may not apply quite the same way there as they do here and also yeah i mean we there's been a not a raging argument but certainly a spirited debate (laughs) among the listeners on discord about the expanse blue team is reading the expanse and i'm doing some live streams where we're watching the expanse and there's uh, one listener in particular little red book who just you know gets hung up on the little things in the tv show well they're in space it would take weeks to go that far at the speeds they're going and it's like yeah you're right but it's TV mm-hmm. and there's dramatic tension 
And so it's okay that the torpedoes only took 15 seconds to <laughs> blow up that ship and not eight minutes like it normally would, right? It, where, so my point here is that, yeah, it's a book. It's not real life. And in real life, things are totally consistent with the laws of physics, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a book. It's okay. For the sake of the story, I'm okay with little things like, yeah, the cannonball's curved. Awesome. As the god is the author, he can create his own laws of physics, I guess. Right. So... I just Which... think it's interesting to note, because for every person, that line is going to be drawn in a different place. Right. Because here, curving cannonballs, you're like, ah, it's fun, whatever. You're going to talk about curving laser bolts, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it bothers you in that. Well, in that, in that one, it's internal consistency within the world, right? Yeah. So we've never had curving laser bolts in Star Wars, and then suddenly they show up in The Last Jedi. Uh, that one was... Uh, yeah, that was was a little rough. So, so. <laughs> just saying that's that's everybody has their own line. Yeah, yeah. Well, well said. Uh, speaking of the little stuff, uh, here's one of my favorite comments that we got of everybody, and it was from Cody Lloyd who said, "Also, that stupid fake tooth of all the, <laughs> of all the stupid things that would never actually work in a million years." Ugh. I count myself in the fan category. Really, I actually read. I actually enjoyed reading the books, but. Oof, debt toof. <laughs> Which is maybe the greatest thing I've ever read. Oof, debt toof. Oof, debt toof. I like that. so good. Anyway, I, I don't have anything to say about the tooth. Whatever. So I actually, I really <laughs> liked that section. Uh, it did not bother me because I have had excessive amounts of dental work done in my life. Same, same. <laughs> if there's anything in this world that I love more than my children, it's sugar. <laughs> Says the guy with a giant jar of M&M's. M&M's. <laughs> so... When we got into this uh, introducing Murder Sharp and he had the OCD level drive to look at people's teeth and everything, I knew that at some point in time that had to be used against him. Right. So I I think it was, it, it was a better way to show that um, Tia had grown as an, uh, as an assassin and in her ability to identify her enemy and what would have gotten him. And prepare for that. I, I liked it a lot. I think it was interesting. I have actually had a tooth that had gas build up inside of it. It is one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. Mm. Had kidney stones too. Those were worse. But on par with that, gas in the tooth expanding. I've only had a child, so I don't understand what this pain thing no, is. That's correct. You can just you can just so. back out of you this come conversation. Back in, in two minutes, all right. <laughs> when well. you've experienced it. But I just I had that that thought in my mind as she as they talked about what this tooth was doing this poison that she had put in there basically I'm like that had to hurt so freaking bad because gases expand in your teeth like depending on hot and cold and they put pressure on your gums and everything else it hurts so bad so it's like Tia's a badass we already knew that but just this little thing waiting to kill this one person sitting there the whole time that was not that was probably not very comfortable. Because it was right. months or something that she had this tooth in, didn't she? Yeah. Like, she'd been preparing for this for a long time. Yeah. Wasn't it a fake tooth, though? Yeah, it's a fake tooth. Well, so it wouldn't be hammering on her nerves if it's a fake tooth with a gas pocket. You're pushing on the now. Now of... we're getting way too into it. We want to discuss... I hope we don't have any dental <laughs> listeners because they're going to be like, oh, it's disgusting. I can't listen to this guy anymore. But no, it's, it's still going to expand and put pressure on the outside where it's been put in right. and affecting mm -hmm. things. Not to the same extent as when it's inside of a dead tooth. But... I believe you. You guys want to talk about some quotes? Sure. Okay, so quotes. Again, Brent Weeks can really turn a phrase sometimes. Uh, here's a good one. Gavin to Gunner. Gunner? Captain, let's go find God. I'll bring the sword, just in case he's a dick. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. I don't have anything else to say other than. <laughs> well deserved. Well, well deserved one liner. Uh, yeah, that's a great one liner. Um, okay, how about this? Here's one with a little more meat on its bones. Some say you are what you do. Who you are is what you do. Sorry. Some say who you are is what you do. They're wrong, but not all wrong. What you do forms who you are. Then who you are forms what you do. It's a vicious cycle or a virtuous one, depending. One act doesn't undo all of who you are, but a thousand acts makes you who you are. So it's simple, though not easy. Stop creating the wrong you. That's uh, It's not quite as pithy as the other one, but I mm-hmm. like this idea that uh, of the, the vicious or virtuous cycle and, um, it, you know, we talked about a little bit in the last one about um, how Brent has, I think he has a knack for taking commonly accepted or commonly argued about turns of phrase or concepts and uh, and reimagining them or, or turning them inside out and looking at them in a little bit different way. So I talked last time about the whole black and white, uh, the threads of black and white creating a gray world mm-hmm. with shades of gray but in fact it leaves room for uh you know truth and good and evil and all that but mm-hmm. effectively we live in a gray world despite all of that uh so this is a similar thing where you know you are what you do well, yeah yeah kind of mm-hmm. but you also do what you are in a way if that makes sense yeah it's a symbiotic cycle I don't know if that'd be the right way to phrase that. What happens to one will affect the other. Yeah. You must understand this. <laughs> but the idea, it's why I think a lot of people come to realize that change is difficult because it's a cycle and you're trying to change one aspect of it and you have to change multiple pieces of it to make it stick. Does that make sense? What I'm so, Sorry, here? say that again. Just that what you're, what you're describing here. Uh, we are what we do, but we do what we are. Yeah. When you want to change, if you try and change what you do without changing what you are, it makes it difficult. Mm, right, so there, right. You have to connect both here. And it's a really good example here of what he's talking about where the change has to be all-encompassing to all of it versus just one aspect. Yeah. You know, if you want to change how you see yourself, you have to change the way you talk about yourself, the way you do. And that's a big thing like with Kip. You know, he um, one of the ones I've pulled up here, trying to remember exactly who he's talking to here. Tysus is talking to Kip, and um, she's like, I think you owe that child abandoned in a locked closet with rats something, Kip. That boy, that boy you've poured scorn on, who you called a fat He survived because he fought. I think you owe him more than your contempt. Kip has had so many moments in this, and we talked about it earlier in the series that he's changed and he's grown and everything, but he still has these moments here, and having Tysus call that out and remind him that you have changed entirely and you don't need to go back and vilify the person that you were. Like, you don't need to look back at this person and say, that was worthless or anything, because it's, you owe them better, you know, owe where you came from more than what you're giving it. Mm, interesting. So, I, every, it's so interconnected that it gets convoluted to try and talk about it. But I love this concept of, if you want to affect change, you're going to have to change the way you are, what you do, and not necessarily look back and say that, that was bad right because it feeds where you are now can i a real world example um fitness Mm -hmm. okay got chubby people like myself and you've got very fit people who love to go to the beach and go to the gym Mm -hmm. and they look great and then there's me right okay so 
if there's one thing that I do not want for myself, it's to adopt the mindset of the gym bro. Mm-hmm. Just, it just doesn't seem true to who I am. I I don't think I could speak to you if you all of a sudden <laughs> became a gym bro. If I were a gym bro. Okay, so that being said, I think that that kind of feeds into why I've never been that fit. I describe myself as uh, my body as formerly athletic. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, okay. So if I wanted to get fit, I would have to go to the gym more or, you know, work out at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Easy enough. Right. Wrong. Because you have to change your mindset. And I would have to have to drift further along in my mindset toward the gym bro. I wouldn't have to go full gym bro, but you know, there's, there's something there where I would have to change my mindset about what the gym means to me, what fitness, what exercise means to me and you know, why I'm doing it, who I'm doing it for and all this stuff. There would have to be a shift in mindset for any of those behavioral changes to take root. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess in short, I will be fat forever. So there you go. You want a couple more M&Ms? While I would happy? love some more. I, I'm craving them so hard right now. Uh, okay. Anyway, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Stephanie, do you have any thoughts on that before we move on? Just to add a little bit to what you guys have said. I think the other thing about that quote that stood out to me is the fact that it's a choice. So many people look at where they are in life and the way that the world has affected them that they don't remember how they've affected themselves and the choices that they've made. Like you were talking, if you're going to go to the gym, you have to make a choice to go. And then that affects how how you're going to change and become what you do and all of all that other stuff. But it still comes down to a choice. You have to make a choice, whether you're going to make a choice for right or wrong, to change yourself. It's not, oh, this happened to me and this is why I am who I am because I had this crap childhood or I went through this. You still have choices of how you react to things, how you, how you let them affect you. Right. And I think... There will be people who say, I didn't choose to do this and whatever. The, I, I, I've thought a lot over the years about the, we've talked about the ideas of those who act and those who are acted upon. Yeah. And because change is a constant thing and, and this constant progression of the world and, and person and everything, even if you don't choose something, choosing not to choose will end up still having an effect on the long-term things. So y- you have you have a choice to choose <laughs> or to not choose. So choose to choose. <laughs> <laughs> if you choose to do so. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Speaking of pithy. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get back to some listener comments. Uh, this one, let's see. Okay, let's talk about the characters a little bit. Dimitri asks, not you specifically, Stephanie, but I'm asking you specifically. <laughs> Dimitri says, thoughts on the portrayal of women in this book. It kind of took me out of the story a little with how focused Tia and Karis were on the guys in the first half. The first half of this book specifically. Yeah. Did you notice any of that? Did it bother you? No, but I think the thing that, especially about um, Tia and Karis, is that when that's what is you're surrounded by, it's kind of hard to focus on anything else. Like, what do they want them to focus on? Right. Other than the men in their lives, because that's that's what's driving them. I mean, Tia is surrounded by men. Her family is made up of men. She has no women in her life. I mean, she kind of has her mentors in Karis that she goes to, but even that gets broken. The relationship is strained at the very beginning. That, um, with everything that happens with um, Gavin Guile 
she even comments that her relationship is kind of broken with Karis. So in that respect, I don't know what else they should focus on. But I've thought a lot about the women in this series and what how Brent has written them. And I really do think that they are well-written, strong female characters. I think he's grown a lot in his writing coming from a woman's perspective. You mean compared to like compared to Night Angel, Night Angel. Um, and even as he's getting he, as he's gone through the series from when he first started writing to where he ends up with especially Tia and Karis and even Tysis. I had a really hard time with Tysis to begin with, and by the end of the book, Tysis is such a strong. And I think um, as Tia's taken on these characteristics as a warrior, which are very masculine-based characteristics, Tysis has taken a very feminine um, stance on her character as the love interest of Kip. And I think he's done a fantastic idea of writing both of them and their strengths. That a woman can be straight as strong as both with masculine characteristics and feminine characteristics as the world as, sees as them. As traditionally yes, thought of. Not as what yeah, yeah, this has I got to be, you. but yes. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on this? No, I, I agree with that. I, I, I get caught up with the idea of people thinking that every strong female character has to pick up the sword of the fallen warrior and, and go and kill the, the witch king. That's one character choice. Right. And that's it's a good one, and that is fine. But also, like you talk about with Tysus, um, and even um, even though Karis really t- is, is more warrior-centric, she's the Iron White and everything, there is still a very strong uh, female characteristic or feminine characteristic in her connection with Gavin. And the way that she views that, it's not like a general or anything like that. Like, oh well, it's, he's a he's a piece out there. Like, they're part of the reason why she's so focused is she's he's the husband. I love my husband, right? And I I I appreciate that Brent doesn't just write out that she is. Well, I love my husband, but I have to be the Iron White, and so I don't care. No, she has emotional breakdown. She loses a uh, she struggles with her religion. And everything as she learns these different aspects and deals with them not uh, not in the way a warrior would necessarily okay yeah so what you're saying is you find her to be three-dimensional yes and not just a flat you know xena warrior princess type <laughs> yes whatever that's correct yes excellent it's closer to alpha five than it is but yeah i think um i compare it a little bit to kip and uh, Kip in book four, I think one of the things, one of the reasons that a lot of people struggled with book four was that Kip was suddenly besotted and was preoccupied with this relationship with a woman where for the first three books, that wasn't really his thing. You know, he, he had moments, <laughs> what, what's going to happen with Tia? And uh, uh, what about Liv and all this stuff? But they're kind of fleeting moments. And for the most part, it's his journey as a drafter and as a mm-hmm. blackguard and all that stuff. That's what he concentrates on. And then finally, a, a woman enters his life in a big way. The gates of intimacy open and he is allowed to explore something he's never explored before. Exactly. And so, of course, he concentrates on on that stuff during Kip's storyline. He writes a lot of that stuff. Uh, and I kind of feel that way about the women in this book and maybe some others in the series as well, where it's, you know, what's looking at them as three-dimensional people and not as stereotypes, what is going to be most important to them at any given moment? 
And I think he does a fine job of that. Mm -hmm. If yeah, I nothing jumped out to me as problematic in that way. Yeah. And I think again this is going to come back to people people have their own definitions as to how you define a female character, how you define a male character or these different pieces and if they don't fit that, it's going to feel disjointed. Yeah. All right. So speaking of Kip. Let's talk about Kip. Let's talk about Okay. Kratori, once again, asks, what did you think about Kip's resurrection? All right, now we're getting into some author choices here and who Kip is as a character, etc. Uh, let's see, back to the quote. He's a great guy and all, but how many others were in that battle who were just, just as nice or brave or whatever, but happened to not be the chosen one? It seemed kind of off that Kip gets a second chance surrounded by a battlefield of corpses. Oof. Yes. <laughs> sure. Yep. Definitely unfair. <laughs> I remember reading Kip's Resurrection, and this is one of the uh, side effects of doing a podcast like this and doing this and n knowing the people that you work with. It's like, oh, that's not going to land well. Like it's my, my One of my initial responses is not a personal one. So it, like it's how I knowing. feel about it. It's, oh, that's, nope. They're not going to like that. <laughs> he Harry Pottered it. He <laughs> Harry Pottered it here. He's so Harry Pottered this. <laughs> um, but once I get past that, personally, I... I'm fine with it um, because, uh, and I said this in the last episode, our characters made the choices without that promise backing them up, like without knowing they were going to get those things. So they made the choice, the weight, it doesn't undercut, it doesn't undercut what they have done to give them the happy ending at the end, to, in my opinion. Uh, there. Why does Kip get it when thousands of others don't? Uh, honestly, it's, there is no other reason other than he is the chosen one and has sacrificed the way that he sacrificed enough to make that white Luxon, like being on Orholm's glare. I I don't know, Orholm could have come in and revived everyone and that probably would have pissed me off. <laughs> oh yeah? Like, yeah, that probably would have been, no, Brent, too, too, too much. far. Too far. Like, what, if you're going to do this, why don't you just have Orholm fly over and be like, all right, everybody stop, 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 stop. Put everybody, nope, pull the sword out, we'll fix it later. Like, <laughs> yeah. And go on. But okay. No. So you're good with it. And I, you know, Kip's resurrection, I did not care for it personally. I felt Harry Pottered. Mm -hmm. I thought Harry Potter should have died. I thought Kip should have died. But I did read some uh, some other readers' explanation of why they liked the way Kip's storyline ended up. Because, okay, so back it up for a minute. My thing, Ryan, is that uh, I kind of feel like you're right. As far as character progression... Um, yeah, they, they made their choices irrespective of, you know, any possible nice outcome. You know, he's mm -hmm. like, no, I'm, I'm going to go die. Time to go die. And he makes that choice. So, but it does kind of undercut the idea of consequences where, you know, or Hollem, God comes in and is like, hey, thanks for making that choice. Remember that consequence that you chose? Yeah, never mind. Mm -hmm. um, and so it does undercut the idea of consequences a little bit for me. And so I didn't love it. It wasn't my favorite choice in the book. However, uh, one thing that somebody brought up is that Kip's story is a story of growth and coming to accept his own worth, right? We've talked about this a lot on the show. One of the reasons I love Kip's character progression so much uh, is that aspect of it. Uh, and in large measure throughout all these books, it's tied to his drafting. 
mm-hmm. and his ability to use that to help others, to help himself, to et cetera, further the cause and all of that. But in the end, after he is revived, he can't draft anymore, or at least, you know, as far as we know, maybe there's like a glimmer of hope or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a little bit vague at the end. But anyway, so I feel like maybe there's something there to this final bit of character progression for Kip that's going to happen off screen as the story continues, where he hit the last step for him now is to find worth in himself and an identity beyond I'm the the guy who drafts everything and saves everybody with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Stephanie, thoughts, feelings? No, I can understand that point. I didn't have a problem with it. Again, I'm the happy ending. <laughs> like, give me a happy ending. Let my characters be be happy at the end and get what they want. So I'm fine with it. I was fine with it in Harry Potter. I don't care. Um, I don't tend to overanalyze my readings in that kind of way. Right. But um, with what you just said about kind of thinking about what Kip's story is beyond what Mm -hmm. Brent has given us, I think it actually, it fits well with where, with Kip's journey to allow him to continue to grow as a person and accepting himself for what he is in the moment. And I think a part of that would be accepting himself as a non-drafter now and what that means going forward from where he's been. So I, I have to say, and I might be wrong on this, but one of the things I was half expecting in that after everything else had been revived was what I will call a light the pipe moment. Oh boy. Okay. Spoilers. Well, I'm not going to say what that's from. So people who know what it's from, know what it's from, but okay. Where, Basically, there's a, a one last moment of, oh, wait, maybe he can. Like, right. So, And somebody else said, okay, so Kip sees, there's like a, a flash of, of green. Uh-huh, in right. the stick. Uh, yes. yes. He grabs a hold of this the stick that's supposed to tell the drafters what colors they can draft. Right. And there's a flash of green, and hinting so, at the fact he might, might be, be able, able to, to draft, draft green. green. Uh, and then somebody else mentions, no, that's probably Orholm's wink. That's, that's that we've I've, heard about I've heard a, few a lot times. about it. That's yeah. what I. That just, that's my interpretation of it, which is why I feel like that, that we that I was appreciative that we didn't get a light the pipe moment. But you might interpret that as a well, maybe he still can, and then as a fandom, we can all freak out about well, can he? How does he do that? Wait, wait. Right. So. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's move on from Kip. Then we we're actually. Uh, Believe it or not, coming up on our time here. So, wow. we can, I know. Wow, yeah, that's gone by fast. It really has. So, I, I want to go back to a couple quotes, and then we'll finish up with a few other things. Speed uh, round our responses to some of these. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, Andros Guile. Strength is a choice. Courage is a habit. Very nice. Yep. Nice turn of phrase. Uh, there's. A, <laughs> I don't actually have this one here, but I do remember at one point... Um, in that final conversation between Kip and Andros, uh, Andros says something to Kip along the lines of, you know, I can't tell if you're wise beyond your years or just really good with quips or, you know, <laughs> re- really good at quotes, basically. And he says, yeah, me neither. Um, anyway, all right. Oh, okay. Here's a good one from Gavin. What do you call it when you realize you've been an asshole your whole life? Gavin asked. A good start, or Holum offered. <laughs> I love that quote. I love that quote. And I'm going to leave that one unbleeped because it's, I, I really like that. So. No, it's, and 
if you have ever had a moment where you've looked back and gone, oh yeah, I was I was wrong. I did that wrong. Yeah. Like that's that's usually a good sign you've grown. And if you can make some changes, that's a good thing. <laughs> did I ever? I, I've told you my three rules for life, right? I don't think so. I don't need to go through all three. The first one I came up with in junior high, and that was people are morons. Rule number one: people are morons. Um, and this was when I was very, very angry. I mm -hmm. I was not a pleasant kid in junior high. I was I was yeah, you know, you yeah. remember. <laughs> anyway, I have scars on my fingers. I know. Yeah, exactly. And anyway, but by the time I got to high school and I'd kind of mel mellowed out a little bit, uh, one of my next rules was there there are exceptions to every rule, but it's still a rule. Mm -hmm. And that began to apply to rule number one, which is, guess what? You know, I'm, it, there are exceptions to that rule. People are morons. Like sometimes we're not, but every one of us, generally speaking, <laughs> we're morons. You know, yeah. we make bad choices. We are, you know, uh, I don't want to get percentage. too much. Yeah. Yeah. What's your percentage? Exactly. Your batting average of moronity. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Uh, let's go on to, oh, here's another one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not bleep this one again. A man who will never risk being seen as an asshole is a man who doesn't believe in anything. And considering my reputation on this podcast, <laughs> I take some solace in this quote. I think it's interesting because we've had conversations in the past about, um, the importance of taking a stand yeah. of things. And I, I usually, I feel very passionately about things, but I try to make sure I understand, put myself in other shoes and be sure. empathetic and understand that, which sometimes reads as not... Not taking that not stand. Not taking that stand. Sure. Um, whereas on the other hand, like people who will tend to be a little more like, no, this is how I see it. Is, I'm willing to listen to you, but I want you to understand this is what I believe. Yeah. Tend to read that other direction. Right. Um, it just, it's a very, uh, very interesting approach. It's another the certain point of view moment if you will <laughs> that is my favorite okay should we finish up on listener stuff yeah how many more do we have oh i i i've made it through a third so sorry everybody can we do a speed round of a couple of these uh Try. maybe some of the light stuff how okay kiptan how okay are we with immutable prophecy being so specific as to say he must be on the shore of the jaspers and yet also being so inspecific as to allow for multiple light bringers um, I actually remember reviewing that question and going and finding my answers. Go back and read the prophecy itself. Read that chapter where they talk about it. That's not how it's phrased. All right. Um, because it's, it, it is, he specifically words it in a way that allows it to work. It's okay. not an immutable prophecy. Still Gar 12. All right. Stephanie, this one go. No. Oh. oh. Go ahead. You, go. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, also, the issue of slavery and societal corruption of the Cremaria. It was set up as such an interesting issue that never got directly addressed. Characters we love, except a society of slavery, and then nothing. No remorse, angst, shame, why no movement in that deliberate drama. Do you want me to take this one? <laughs> Go for it. Okay, first of all, there is some remorse and angst and shame. I mean, just consider what Gavin thinks of his relationship with... Mauricia. Mauricia. Uh, in book five. Yeah, it is in book five. Mm -hmm. When he's having that... Or it might be book four. four. Yeah, it's book four. four. Um, anyway, so yeah, there are moments of that... But ultimately, this is not what that story is about. Uh, one of the things that we talked about early on with the issue of slavery in these books is that it is not, he is not writing the book that a lot of people would want when we think of the issue of slavery. 
uh, it, especially in Western civilization, we think of chattel slavery in the U.S. as what slavery is. That's not what it has been throughout world history. And he is simply writing a book that takes uh, some cues from Mediterranean culture and history and mythology. And this was simply a reality in that time. And this is not a book or this is not a series about writing all the wrongs in the world or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, despite all the <laughs> resurrections that happen in the end, whatever. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm all right with it. He, he doesn't, he certainly doesn't excuse it in the books. It's just not really what these stories were about. Good enough? Good I don't enough. Know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Dimitri says, oh, to build, no, I don't want to, uh, sorry, Dimitri. I'm skipping that one because it was based on somebody else's, uh, thing. The Deus Ex Machina, are you okay with the sheer number of them that come to you out of the woodworks as Kipten? Dimitri says, I imagine y'all will bring it up, but just in case, how about that literal Deus Ex Machina? Cody Lloyd says, I think the Deus Ex was the point all along. I think that's the story he was trying to tell. Kiptan says the point was man cannot prevail without the grace of God. Okay, Deus Ex Machina, go. Will you give a definition? Because I had to look that up. I had uh, seen it so many times. I was like, I don't even know what this means. Deus Ex Machina Just is so. Greek for God, or sorry, Latin, I guess, for God from the machine. And in ancient plays, it was a, a literal thing where they would, this this was a big part of the story where God would come fix everything. Uh, we see it in, uh, you know, we talked with him about uh, the Odyssey, mm -hmm. where in, in the end of the Odyssey, there's... All the characters are in a corner now. The, the story is backed into a corner where everybody's at each other's throats and there's no good resolution to it. And so Athena comes in and says, hey, everybody stop killing each other. And they all go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's the end of the story. Commonly used in religious stories to emphasize the importance of man's dependence, dependence on God. God. Say, yeah. you know, God can fix it if they, if they so choose. So... I think we kind of actually covered the Deus Ex Machina thing a lot in the last episode, so maybe we leave yeah. that answer as is. We did. In short, we were okay with. I, I think, for the most part, we were okay with it because it was, it was built. For me, it was built in a way that it wasn't God fixing everything. It was God's touch through the other pieces. Like right, He let everybody else. He He led the other characters to fix things but they did have to make those decisions themselves. The same way you would do in any prophecy with the people, like you lay out what their path is and things, and then you help them out along the way a little bit here and there. And as for the actual Wonder Woman's invisible jet, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right with it. Uh, Cody Lloyd, Black Luxon is built up as this terrifying thing. And when Dick Gavin or Gazen used it, the first time it was some devastating thing that ruined people's memory and sundered a rock or something. <laughs> but when we finally get to see it in this book's climax, it doesn't do anything except for exactly what the good guys needed at the time. Did I miss something or was that a misfire? Same story with the white Luxon too. Uh, so I think if I recall correctly, Stephanie, help me out if I'm wrong, but I think the characters didn't really understand what black and white Luxon mm -hmm. did. And when Dazen used it at the Battle of Sundered Rock, he used it improperly, incorrectly, something along those yeah. lines. And so it had these horrible effects. But then the point in the last part was, like God literally puts his hand on Dazen's shoulder and says, right, here's how you use he refines this power. It. Yeah, yeah it refines, he refines it. Because uh, Dazen says that 
Um, he wa he looks over and Orhalem is burning away all of the impurities in the Black Luxon, which the first time he drafts it, he drafts it from hatred and fear and everything. And those impurities are basically, it's implied that they're, they're make, they are what make it dangerous. Right. And with his connection to God, because he's not angry when he drafts it this time, he's just capable of drafting it. And with the connection to God and removing those impurities, all it does is remove the magic. It kind of just wipes the slate clean and doesn't hurt anybody. So. Well, and I think a lot of it has to do with the education and what the Cumeria allowed people to understand. There was so much they were hiding. And I think Orange Luxon was kind of the same way, is that it became no one used Orange Luxon to its full abilities because they were too scared to use it. Right. And I think Black and White Luxon kind of became that thing, too. They were so scared of what it was actually capable of that they stopped teaching people about it to the point where no one even really believed it still existed. Well, and drafting it is incredibly difficult because to draft black, you have to reach a certain that certain degree, uh, at least based on what we had read there, where Dazen had to get to that level of hatred and anger and everything. Whereas with White Luxon, the only time it's drafted in this story is when Kip is on or Hollum's glare. Or no, I think it's drafted one other time. Or maybe it was... Because uh, I remember Iron Fist finding it. Maybe that was black. I can't remember exactly. But it's when Kip's on Orhalem's glare and he sacrifices himself. So the only way to truly draft White Luxon requires a complete sacrifice. Like there's a peace element to that that's you can't really draft it because you tend to die after you draft it. <laughs> uh, and that's where everybody in the the seven satrapies got their lightning bolt scars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, Ryan doesn't remember that part of the story. Uh, no, it just reminded me a lot. Sorry, Harry Potter. Uh, okay, man, there's a lot of Harry Potter talk today. Sorry about that. So I'm going to end on this note from Cody Lloyd. I'm sure there are a few others, including some very long comments that we got from Flazareth and Stilgar and, and Kiptan. And, and I'm sorry that we're not getting to all of them, but forgive us. Uh, okay. We'll talk on Discord. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. You can ask us again on Discord. Go to Discord, everybody. Okay, so Cody Lloyd says, are we sure the protagonists are actually the good guys? I thought that Brent set up a pretty convincing argument against the Cromeria in early books, and I was ready for Senor Rainbow to be right about Whites not being a bad, <laughs> evil thing. And in the end, we're never given an, ar an argument against him. Like, we just have to assume he's wrong and evil because he's the antagonist. I assume they'll still be freeing people that break the, their halos in the future. So, uh, okay. So this, this opens up a whole avenue for discussion in our last, uh, you know, we'll give it five to 10 minutes, right? The bad guys and the Cremaria and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. I'm on record already as being very disappointed, I guess, that, that we kind of abandoned the, the White King storyline early on, or at least it felt yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, but how do you guys feel about that? And do you think that, uh, you know, much like the Empire, they were the good guys all along? I think this is one of those stories that if you picked someone else to tell their viewpoint, that you could certainly have a good argument of how the Cromeri is the bad guys and how in the end this is what it's going. I don't know. What... Say it again, Ryan. From a certain point of oh, view. From a certain point of view. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that point to Ryan means. <laughs> But like, I think if you take maybe Liv's point of view and if we delved more into her and she was the main focus of this story and we followed her from her her growing up into where she becomes the goddess and everything that 
you could definitely see where the White King is more of the good guy in this and the Chromaria is definitely the bad guy. It's just the point of view we have that we were that Brent Weeks chose to write about that you see the that the Chromaria, though it has its faults, like you know, everything like murdering does. babies and Yeah. What's what's a few murdered babies yeah, among friends? Really? But I can't believe we haven't even touched on any of that. There's so much I that know. we Andros killing his son. Oh my gosh. All, yeah, all saving her father at the end. Like there's so many things. So many things. <laughs> but it's just it's the choice that Brent make made to choose from these characters' point of view, in my opinion. Yeah. So Ryan? I'm in that same camp. I I don't think that we're ever actually explicitly told that these are the good guys. It's just these are the people that we're following. We tend because they're our protagonists, we tend to think, oh, these are our, these are supposed to be the good guys. With the exception maybe of Kip. Kip is definitely presented as a good person. Yes. Well not well, just a protagonist. Yes. Okay. I'll I'll the others, you know, if I'm thinking about Gavin or Karis or you know, Iron Fist or whoever, Tia, they're protagonists, not necessarily good guys. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I, I also don't, I can't think of any time that off the top of my head where we are explicitly laid out that even in the final moments with the uh, Senior Rainbow, I believe is how it was <laughs> yes. put in there, even in his final battle, that he is the bad guy. They make him crazier. He makes him. He writes him crazier at the end. Yeah, but I I think it's we're supposed supposed to have this ambiguity because Brent wants us to think about that. He set up this whole premise of that our good guys aren't all good and our bad guys aren't all bad specifically so we think about it. So in the beginning, in the first two books, I felt like that was going to be the story that he was telling was about the ambiguous nature of the two sides. And then I kind of felt like he abandoned it and followed mm -hmm. other storylines. And, you know, that disappointed me because I really liked that stuff. I agree. It could have been a very, very good piece to the story to explore more in the last three books. Yeah. You know what? Brent, because I know you're listening. I know you're listening. Um, uh, 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 sh novellas, short stories, stuff for yeah. magazines and other compendiums of fiction. I would love to see some Senor Rainbow stuff. <laughs> elsewhere just you know little little things that you can throw out like uh like brandon has done with a few wheel of time expert uh, excerpts well he did that with uh the night angel series there's another book that's right. from a different perspective you know go write a write a short story about one of the whites and how they're they've made a life for themselves outside of it and you know. yeah i'd be really interested to explore that stuff yeah anyway all right so ultimately i think like we said last time and we probably touched on this at the beginning Okay, so we've addressed a lot of people's complaints and issues and whatnot. Uh, ultimately, I think it's fair to say we liked the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, okay, here's how it goes. I liked The Burning White quite a lot, and I loved uh, Lightbringer as a whole. Mm -hmm. Really, really good stuff. What about you guys? How do you wrap up your thoughts on the series and the book? <laughs> I can agree. I think I fall into that same category where I really, I loved the world that Brent created with this series. I love the magic concept. I love the character development. I love the different viewpoints that he gave us. And it is really, he's, a, he's growing into such a fantastic writer. And I enjoyed this series. Do you think he has room to improve even more with uh, his next 
I project. think there's always going to be room to improve. If he stayed on this level of his writing abilities and kept writing fantasy, I would. I feel like I would continue loving his work. All right. Yeah, I like that. Ryan? I'm really interested because his next piece, he's going back into the Night Angel world to see how the Lightbringer writing will alter his writings going back into a darker uh, a darker uh, yep. world built there. Um, as a whole, yeah, I I liked The Burning White. I loved, I, I really enjoyed um, a lot of the moments in there. I love this series. I will continue to recommend this series uh, to people as one to read when, you know, because I get a lot of people who are like, hey, if, you know, I've read everything in the Cosmere. I've read, uh, you know, I finished The Lord of the Rings, whatever it is. What else should I go read? I will direct people towards Lightbringer as one of those options, most likely, because I think it's a, it is a great epic fantasy story uh, that is worth that's worth the the read. Mm-hmm. Well said. And, and to anybody who wonders, because there there have been a few whispers and and comments out there. Yeah, I I would say Brent Weeks is uh, uh, an official friend of the podcast, but that's not going to affect how honest we are about it. I think we've given our honest accounting of how we feel about these books. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's nothing in my connection with Brent that makes me, you know, want to be <laughs> especially yours. <laughs> exactly. No, I um I, I figure Brent, much like uh much like Robin Hobb, you know, if an author can't take a little criticism, of course they can. I this They're is gonna, gonna be, be out, so it. out of the blue, but I really wish we could actually sit down with Robin Hobb and talk a little bit. Hundred percent want to. Because and just hey, we had a really hard time with this this beginning here. Walk us through it. Let us let's have a chat here and help us understand so that we because we pissed off a lot of your fans. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so fun. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, we really enjoyed these books and uh, we share we we see. I think it's fair for me to speak for the three of us. We see a lot of the complaints and understand a lot of the complaints that people have. Uh, but ultimately, I think we have a, a little more positive outlook. Mm-hmm. on the book and the series as a whole and just really, really enjoyed it. And so I hope that people will put on their rose-colored glasses, their <laughs> apologist lenses, and uh, draft some happy thoughts the next time they sit down and try to read <laughs> The Burning White because it's really good. If you go into it with the right expectations, uh, it's it's really quite effective, I think. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thanks for everybody for reading along and listening along with us. Uh, it's It's been a long, long slog of podcasts to get through months to get through uh our lightbringer series but uh we've come to the end of it and much uh, appreciate those who came along the journey with us so next up we're gonna be oh my gosh we're getting back into the lord of the rings and i'm very excited about that uh, and then blue team is doing the expanse as well stephanie you're in on those yeah and... we're picking up the second book because we've already done the first book so Oh, I don't even know what the name of the second book is, so I can't tell you that. But it's the second book in the series. The blue team, Todd, Ken, and I are picking that up, and we'll be recording that soon. Is it Caliban's War? That sounds right. Yep. And lest I forget, we need to pick a winner for the giveaway. Oh. Okay, so I mentioned that at the top of the show. Uh, So now it's time to announce our winner for... The giveaway book, as a reminder, it was who had the best tweet, the one-sentence, five-star tweet about the burning white. And the mm-hmm. winner is Joshua Harkey. Congratulations, Josh. Your tweet made me chuckle quite a lot. So I will read that now. Uh, Josh Harkey uh, tweeted out, in a world of half-finished fantasy epics, Brent Weeks dares to actually complete one on his own terms. And to those who only see the shadows created by burning white's brilliance, at least recall Karis's wisdom as you judge. History belongs to those who show up. 
yowza. <laughs> it's quite a shot across the bow, <laughs> and it just made me laugh. I don't know. It's a good one. So, yeah, there were uh, several tweets that came in, and I I think that one uh, was the was the most fun. So, Josh congratulations. Harkey, congratulations. Yeah, you win yourself a, a Brent Weeks signed copy of The Burning White. So, we'll be in touch about that. So, I guess that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>